All right, well, we're there in uh, Job chapter number 14. And of course, on Wednesday nights, we are going through the book of Job, one chapter a week, verse by verse, uh, learning from uh, this book. And in Job chapter 14, we actually end uh, round one of this uh, conversation between Job and his friends. And of course, if you remember, uh, most of the book of Job is a conversation between Job and his friends, his three friends, and then there's a fourth guy that'll uh, speak later on in the book. And up to this point, all three of his friends have spoken. So if you remember, Job is the one that broke the silence. He began to speak after uh, they had sat there in silence for seven days. And then each one of his friends spoke, and then Job responded. The other one spoke. Job responded. The other one spoke. Job responded. And here in Job chapter 14, we're concluding round one. And in the next chapter, his friends will begin to speak again, and we'll get into round two. And there's three rounds that we go through in this conversation between Job and his friends. And in this chapter, there are two main themes that Job really emphasizes in this chapter. And both of them are found in verse one. Verse one is kind of an outline of the chapter. Job chapter 14, verse one. The Bible says this, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. And this chapter really deals with those two themes. One, that man is a few days, and two, that the life of a man is full of trouble. So there are two major themes in this chapter we're going to look at tonight, but there's also two doctrines that Job talks about in this chapter. He talks about, just briefly, the doctrine of separation, and then he also talks about, in detail, and we're going to spend a, 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 the majority of the chapter dealing with this, about the doctrine of the resurrection. So uh, there's two main themes in regards to the application, and then there's two doctrines that Job uh, brings up. So if you're taking notes, I'll try to highlight those for you as we go on. And in fact, we'll start with the first main theme, and if you'd like to uh, write it down, it is this idea of man is of few days. And notice there in Job chapter 14 and verse 1 again, the Bible says that man is born of a woman excuse me, man that is born of a woman is of few days and full of trouble. And then in verse 2, he begins to emphasize this idea that our lives are not long, that our days are few on this earth. Notice verse 2, the Bible says this, he cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. And again, he's talking about the life of a man. He's saying just like a plant springs up and then is cut down. He said, that's what the life of a man is like, uh, the life of a human being. He says, he cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. So he says, look, our lives are like a shadow. They're fleeing. They do not continue. Notice uh, he says in verse 3, and dost thou open thine eyes upon such as one, and bringest me into judgment with thee, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean, not one. We're going to come back to that in a minute, but notice verse 5. The emphasis of life being short. He says this in verse 5, seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee, thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. So notice, he's referring to the fact that when he says his days are determined, He's saying, look, you've got a certain amount of days that God has given you upon this earth. God already knows when you're going to die. 
In fact, the Bible says this, it says, And as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. You have an appointment, uh, an appointed day in which you are going to die. He says, he says here in verse 5, Seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee. God knows already how many days you're going to live upon this earth. He knows how many months you have upon this earth. I mean, think about that. That's a pretty sobering thought. To, to consider, I wonder how many days I have left upon this earth. Now, we don't know. You could die tomorrow. Uh, but, but even if you uh, lived a, a, a long, healthy life, you know, there's only a certain amount of days you're going to live. There's only a certain amount of months you have left upon this earth. He says, uh, he says the, the number of months are with thee. Notice the last part of verse 5. He says, thou has appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. He says, look, God has created some boundaries that man cannot pass. And today we live in a time of sci-fi technology where people want to live forever and they think they're going to, you know, download their brain into some AI and live forever. But look, that's never going to happen because the Bible says that God has appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. I'm not sure if this is true or not. I've heard it several times that uh, Walt Disney had his brain frozen or his body frozen or something frozen so that when technology is able to bring him back, you know, that's man trying to play God, but God has put bounds upon the life of a human being. And, and here's what Job is saying to his friends, and here's what he's saying to you, and we're going to see it in Psalms because Moses says the same thing. He says, your days are numbered. You only have a certain amount of days upon this earth. Notice verse 6. He says, turn from him that he may rest, so he shall accomplish as an hireling his day. Here's what he's saying. He says, your life, he's equating it or illustrating it like a hireling is an employee, someone that you hire for a day. And he said, our lives are like a shift. You're working your shift right now, but your shift is going to come to an end. He says, till he shall accomplish as in hireling his day. And there's an idea there that whatever work is going to get done, whatever work you and I are going to do upon this earth, we're going to have to do that work now. There's no work to be done after, uh, after death. After death, there's rewards. There'll be work that we'll do in heaven. But as far as serving God with our lives, earning rewards, look, if you're going to be a soul winner, you've got to be a soul winner now. And, and you say, well, I'll be a soul winner someday. Well, you don't know how many days you have upon this earth because your days are numbered. His days are determined. The number of his months are with thee. Notice verse number 16. He says, For now thou numberest my steps, does thou not watch over my sin? He says, your days are numbered. Your days are determined. Your months are numbered. He said, your steps are numbered. God knows how many more steps you're going to take upon this earth. And all throughout the Bible, there is this concept, and it shouldn't be hard for us to understand, that our lives are short. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Psalms. You're there in Job. If you turn over to the book of Psalms, Psalm 90 and, uh, of course, Job is our text for tonight, but go to Psalm 90 if you would. And I'll show this to you, how it's highlighted throughout the Bible, and it's a common theme. It's actually a common theme of mine in preaching this concept that our time is limited. Our lives are short. 
There's bounds that God has put upon the life of a human being. And look, I hope you exercise regularly. I hope you eat good, healthy, organic food or whatever. I hope you get all that health. But even with all the healthy eating and all the exercise and all of that, you're only going to live so long. You're not going to live on this earth forever. Your days are numbered. Psalm 90, verse 1, the Bible says this, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Now turn this man to destruction, referring to the fact that all men are going to die someday. We're going to be destroyed. And say his return Ye children of men. Notice verse 4. For a thousand years is in thy sight, uh, are but as yesterday, when it is past, and as a watch in the night. He says, look, to God, a thousand years is like a, it's a, like a shift. The same idea that, that, that Job was saying. Like an hireling would have a shift uh, 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 that, that he would work. He says, it's just a watch in the night. Notice verse 9. Psalm 90, verse 9. Notice what the Bible says. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. Notice verse 10. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. He says, look, you're going to live about 70 years. Now, obviously, you know, today with technology and with healthy eating and all of that, you might uh, live a little longer than that. But generally speaking, you're not going to live much longer than that. It's not like, well, if I live healthy, I might live, you know, 500 years. Uh, no, you, maybe, you know, you can add another 10 years to that, 15 years to that, 20 years to that, maybe 30 years to that, add 35 years to that, and get yourself in the Guinness World Book of Records. But, I mean, your life's not going to be much longer than that. The days of our years are three score years and 10. And if by reason of strength they be four score years, 80 years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow. I want you to notice that, that the psalmist says, look, our years are short, so they are labor and sorrow. Notice the last part of verse 10, for if, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. And here's the idea. The idea is this, that your time on this earth is short. Your days are few. Even if you're a young person, when you're a young person, you feel like you're going to live forever. But you'll blink and wake up one day and be 34 and have six kids and a dog. And, 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 you'll, and, you'll, and you'll be like, what happened? How did, how did we get here? Go to the book of James if you would. And some of you are thinking, 34, good night. I wish I could go back to 34. James chapter 4, because I'm not old. I, I just look like this. I'm not. Uh, James chapter 4. My wife got the, she has those Native American genes. She got the, um, the, the good genes. I got ripped off because I spent most of my life, most of my life in ministry. I spent most of my life just people constantly just, you know, you look so young. You're the pastor. You look so young, you know. And then I thought, well, you know, time's on my side. One day they're going to, you know, stop saying that. And it went like, you look so young too. You look old. And it's like there was never this like, you know, you look normal stage. And um, so anyway, um, that's what the ministry will do to you, I guess. James chapter 4, look at verse 13. My wife looks like the day I met her, so that's, that's good. That's good for her. James chapter 4, look at verse 13. Notice what the Bible says. 
James chapter 4 and verse 13. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. He says, be very careful about you know, all these plans and all these things you're going to do. and I'm going to do this and do that and start this business and make this money. And look, he's not against having goals and having plans. The Bible teaches these things. But he says, just realize that before you start you know, talking about all the things you're going to do someday, he says, go to now ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Before he's talking about, you know, well, one day I'll spend time with my kids. Well, one day I'll be a good husband. Well, one day I'll spend, uh, I'll, I'll be a good wife. Well, one day I'll start reading the Bible. One day I'll start being a soul winner. One day I'll start, you know, but before you start making all these plans about what you're going to do one day, he says in verse 14, remember this. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? I love that phrase. It's one of those humbling phrases that God kind of puts in the Bible to just give us some perspective and humble us. It's good for us to remember, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. See, the idea of the Bible is this, that life is short. Go back to Psalm 90, if you would, real quickly. Psalm 90, I meant to tell you to keep your place there, and I don't, I don't know that I did. Psalm 90, our days are numbered. Job, Job would say, look, your days are numbered. You're, there's an appointed time. There's a certain amount of months. There's a certain amount of steps. There's a certain amount of life. There's a certain amount of energy that you have in your life. He says, your, na- your days are numbered. Our life is short. The time we have in life is short. Notice verse 12. Notice what the psalmist says. Moses, uh, who wrote Psalm 90, he says, he, he, we, we just looked at Psalm 90 and he talked about the days being cut off and we fly away. Then in verse 12 he says this. He says, so teach us to number our days. He says, teach us to be conscious of the concept that we only have a certain amount of time left on this earth, that our days are numbered and that our days are short. And you say, well, what is the application? Are you just trying to depress us? We're all going to die someday. Okay, we get it. Here's the point. Because life is few of days, we should use our time wisely. Because life is short. Because time is limited. We should use our time wisely. I mean, notice verse 12. So teach us to number our days. Why? That we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. In the Bible, there is this concept. There is this connection between wisdom and time. Wisdom and using your time wisely. Go to the book of Ephesians, if you would. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and look at verse 15. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. The Bible says this, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians 5 verse 15. I want you to notice this connection between understanding how much time you have left on this earth and using that time wisely. Moses said, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts into wisdom. Ephesians 5 and verse 15 says this, See then that ye walk 
circumspectly. The word circumspect or circumspectly means cautiously, means purposefully, means not wasting it, not just doing whatever. He says, see then that ye walk circumspectly. Then notice he says, not as fools, but as wise. Here's what he's saying. A fool just kind of does whatever. A fool sits down in front of a television and lets six hours go by and wonders, what, how'd that happen? A fool get, you know, sits down in front of Facebook or sits down in front of YouTube or sits down in front of whatever social media you like or sits down in front of a video game or sits down in, in front of you know, Netflix or whatever and just spent you know, the whole day, you just I had a whole day off. I could have gone and preached the gospel and I just wasted it. He says, see then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. He said, well, what would a wise person do? Here's what a wise person would do. Look at verse 16. Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Here's what he says. He says, look, you have to redeem your time. The word redeem means that there is value to your time. Why is there value? Because there is value to anything that's limited. Right? When something's limited... When there's not a lot of something and everybody wants that something, that adds value to that. And he says, look, your time is limited. Why? Because your days are numbered. Because there's not a lot of time left on this earth for you. He says, so we should redeem the time because the days are evil. He says, we to walk in such a way that is circumspect, not as fools, but as wise. Go to Colossians chapter 4 if you would. You're there in Ephesians, Philippians Colossians, Colossians chapter 4, look at verse 5. I just want you to, 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 to notice this. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5. This, this connection between wisdom and time, and redeeming your time, and using your time. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Notice the words, redeeming the time. When you walk in wisdom, you'll redeem the time. So here's the question. How am I using my time? How are you using your time? Here's another question. What's the best use of your time? Because time's limited. Our time's limited. Our time's valuable. And look, if we're going to be people of wisdom, if we're going to be people that are going to accomplish something, that are going to get something done, that are going to have something to show for the time that we spent on this earth, then we better realize that we don't have a lot of time. So whatever we're going to do, we better get at it. Listen, Dad, you can sit there and say, no, 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 I'll, well, one of these days I'll stop working, you know, the overtime, and I just need to make a little more money so I can have that nice car, have that nice house, and, you know, one of these days I'll stop working those 12 hours, and, and then I'll spend time with my kid. Your time will run out. You will run out of time. And you can sit there and say, one day I'll become a soul winner, one day I'll be a better husband, one day I'll be a better wife, one day I'll actually start reading the Bible, one day I'll actually start, one day I'll actually do, one day I'll actually go, but you better just start now, because what is your life? It is but a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. Do you know what wise people do? Here's what wise people do. They say, I don't know what tomorrow will bring, so anything that I've got to do, I'm going to do it now. Anything that's worth doing, let's do it now. Anything that needs to be done, let's do it now. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. 
because your days, because the days are evil. Go, go back to Job, if you would, Job chapter 14. We see this first concept that Job tells us. He says, because life is few of days, we should use our time wisely. Because life is few of days, we should not waste our time chasing things that do not matter. We should not waste our time chasing things that are of no value. We should not waste our time chasing things that are temporal, that will burn up in this earth. We should use our time wisely. Then Job, in the middle of this chapter, begins to teach us these doctrines, and I'll try to go through them as quickly as I can. Um, Notice verse 4. He says this, Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Then he answers the question, he says, not one. And in this verse, he teaches us about the doctrine of separation. And we talked about separation and sanctification on Sunday morning. So it's, you know, good that we follow up with it here in Job chapter 14. And he teaches this concept about separation. And he says this, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? And the idea is that why would you try to bring something clean out of something that's unclean? He says, you can't do it, just don't even try. And the illustration I've always heard growing up uh, as a kid is, you know, here, here's the illustration. It's like if, if, if you found some huge dumpster just filled with trash, empty bottles, open bottles, beer cans, Cokes, whatever, just trash, black bags of trash opened up, homeless guy laying in it. And you say, you know, right now at the bottom of that trash can, I know there's a sandwich. I'm going to try to grab that sandwich. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? And you say, well, that's silly. But that's how Christians try to live their lives. People said to me, you know, we preach against the NIV Bible, and we talk about the King James Bible, and the King James Bible is preserved and inspired and infallible and inerrant. And, and we'll show them all the problems with the modern Bible versions, how they attack the deity of Christ, how they remove verses that attack, uh, uh, you know, salvation by grace through faith, how they add works to salvation. We'll show them all these And then people try to say, well, what if I could find, what if I could find one verse in the NIV that matched the King James? Would I be able, you know, to use that? And the question I have is, why? What if you could find a, a good, you know, sandwich behind that, uh, underneath that, that bum? In the, in the trash can. Do you really want to eat that? Look, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? The answer is, not one! So look, we're not trying to redeem things out of the world. Well, I just think we could get, you know, the world's music and clean it up and add the name of Jesus and it'll be fine. No, no, no. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. That's why the Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Look, as Christians, we must practice separation. We don't need to try to redeem something out of the world, take something out of the world, clean something up out of the world. You know, Jesus never thought about hip-hop, but I think it could be used for the glory of God. Let's try to clean that up for the glory of God. No, no, no. Who can bring an un- a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. So we must worship God in spirit and in truth. And we have this concept here of separation. But then we have 
this teaching about the resurrection. And, and this is where really Job spends a lot of his time. Notice verse number 7. He says, For there is hope of a tree. And he begins to give this illustration about a tree. And here's, here's what he's saying. He says, Unlike a tree, when your physical life is over, it's over. Notice verse 7. For there is hope of a tree... If it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that the tender branches thereof will not cease. He says, though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stalk thereof die in the ground, yet through the scent of water it will bud. And he's using this idea that, look, a tree could die, and, 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 but you could bring it back to life if you take care of it, if you water it. Yea, and then he says this in verse 10, the last part of verse 10, Yea, man giveth up the ghost, and where is he? And he asks this question, you know, where, where, where is man after he dies? Now, some people try to use Job 14 to say that Job did not believe in the resurrection. Now, that's not true based off this chapter. Because Job, he asks these questions, but he's going to answer them, and it's going to be very clear that he believes in the resurrection. But just to be even more clear about it, just flip over real quickly to Job chapter 19, just a few uh, chapters over. And I want you to notice verse 25, because Job chapter 19, verses 25 and 26 are probably the most famous verses in the book of Job regarding the resurrection. I just want you to see that. Job definitely believed in a bodily resurrection. Job 19, verse 25, he says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. So look, Job definitely believed in the resurrection, and even in Job 14, it's clear that he believes in the resurrection, but he asks these questions at first that people like to take and say, well, he must have not believed in it, but he's making this point. He says, he says, but man dieth and wasteth away, yea, man giveth up the ghost, and where is he? And he's talking about your physical life upon this earth, that your days are limited and that you don't get to live physically here again and live your life again. Verse 11. As the waters fail from the sea, and the floods decayeth and drieth up, so man lieth down and riseth not. He says, look, and again, it goes with this idea that Job is telling us. You've got only so many days upon this earth. When you die, you don't get to do it again. You don't, you don't, get, to be mar- you know you don't get to be married the first time again. <laughs> you, don't, you don't get to raise those kids again. You don't get your years again. And I'm not trying to beat up on you if you've wasted some of those or whatever. I believe, like the Apostle Paul, looking forward to those things, you know, forgetting those things which are behind and looking forward. I'm not trying to beat up on you or make you feel bad about anything in your past. Look, you just confess it to God and you move forward. But I am trying to make you feel bad about the time you've got right now. You don't have to waste the time you have right now, before you, right now. Say, I wasted yesterday. Okay, but can you live for God tomorrow? Can you do something for God tomorrow? He says, so man lieth down and riseth not. And then, he begins to expound upon this idea of the resurrection. And here's where we know. They'll look at verse 11 and say, uh, excuse me, verse 10, and say, well, he doesn't believe in the resurrection because he says, and where is he? But then notice in verse 12, he says, so man lieth down and riseth not. He's saying, look, once you die, you're not going to rise again. But then he says this, look at verse 12, till. 
So it's not that he doesn't believe in the resurrection. He's just saying, you don't get to redo your life again, but there is a resurrection coming. But when that resurrection comes, that's for rewards. You'll be rewarded for what you did. You're done with trying to do anything for God. Now notice what he says. Notice what Job, Job teaches us something about the resurrection. And when we talk about the resurrection, uh, you know, we're t- we can, of course, talk about the resurrection of Christ. But when we talk about the resurrection of believers, it's also something that's referred to as the rapture. The rapture and the resurrection of believers happens at the same time or, or you know, it's at the, very closely together. And I want you to notice what Job tells us because Job actually gives us a non-pre-trib rapture. Job gives us a uh, post-tribulation, pre-wrath rapture here in Job 14, verse 12. Notice what he says. He says, he says so man lieth down and riseth not till. So he's going to tell us when man riseth up. When does man rise up? He says, till the heavens be no more, they shall not awake nor be raised out of their sleep. He says, look, when is man going to awake and rise again out of his sleep, which the Bible always refers to death for a believer as sleep. He says, when will that happen? He says, till the heavens be no more. He says, when the heavens are no more, that's when believers will awake and be raised out of their sleep. Go to the book of Revelation, if you would, Revelation chapter 6. Let me break this down for you. Prophetically, Revelation chapter 6 We believe at Verity Baptist Church in a post-tribulation rapture. A post-tribulation pre-wrath rapture. Now, 99% of evangelical Christians out there believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. They believe that we're going to get raptured before the tribulation. The problem, and there's lots of problems with that, and I don't have time to develop that. We've got movies and documentaries you can watch. One of the main issues that we have found is that the problem is just with defining of terms. People will connect the tribulation and the wrath of God as the same event. Those are not the same events in the Bible. The tribulation is a time of persecution of believers. It is a time of trouble upon the entire world. There are earthquakes and famines. There are wars and rumors of wars. But it's all things that are naturally already upon us, things that are, we, already have. we already have pestilence. We already have wars. We already have famines, but they get worse and worse. And the Bible even equates it to a woman in labor. And just like labor begins uh, not as intense and gets more and more intense, the closer we get to the end, uh, things will get worse and worse. That's the tribulation. Then, scripturally speaking, you have the rapture or the resurrection. And then after that, you have God pouring out his wrath. Look, we don't believe that God pours out his wrath on believers. The, the Bible says that God is not, uh, he, he's not going to pour out his wrath upon us. But when God begins to pour out his wrath, that's not just, you know, earthquakes and pestilences and things that we have. That, that, that's supernatural. I mean, supernatural being beasts come out of hell and all these things that God does supernaturally. And I want you to notice here in Revelation chapter 6, in Revelation 6, we have the, the, the seals, the six seals, and these seals uh, serve as an outline of end times prophecy. And I'm not preaching on, on that, you know, the whole subject of that tonight, but I, I just want you to notice in verse 9, in, in, in the first four seals, seals 1, 2, 3, and 4, 
Those are connected with what's commonly referred to as the four horsemen. And that's what the Bible refers to as tribulation. That's your wars, your rumors of wars, your famines, uh, you know, people dying, all of that. Then in, in verse 9, we have the fifth seal. And this is what the Bible refers to as the great tribulation. This is when the beast sets up, the, when the image of the beast is set up. This is when the mark is given. This is when uh, persecution upon believers comes and people, Christians, begin to die. Revelation chapter 6, look at verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altars, because this is, this is John in heaven. So he's getting a view from heaven. So when the fifth seal was open, here's what he saw. I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain Why were they slain? For the word of God and for the testimony which they held. That's the tribulation. Christians being put to death because they refused to take the mark of the beast. Look at verse 10. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they would, as they were, should be fulfilled. So notice, in verses 9 through 11, you have the fifth seal. And what is the characteristic of the fifth seal? The characteristic of the fifth seal is the fact that all these believers, people were killed for the word of God and for the testimony of his name. Then in verse 12, you have the sixth seal open. Notice verse 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. And the sun, I want you to remember these terms, okay? The sun became black, a sackcloth of hair. And the moon became as blood. Remember these terms. The sun becoming black, the the moon became as blood. Look at verse 13. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as the fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. Notice verse 14. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. This is what Job is referring to in Job 14.12 when he says, till the heavens be no more. He says, look, this is what Job said. Job said, man lieth down and riseth not till the heavens be no more. They shall not awake nor be raised out of their sleep. Job says, when do they get raised? When the heavens are no more. Here's what The book of Revelation says, you have a great tribulation, seal number five, Christians dying, massive amounts of uh, believers dying. Then seal number six, you have the sun becoming black, the moon became as blood, the stars of heaven fell on the earth, and the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. According to Job, after this, is when all these believers are going to be resurrected. So is Job right according to the book of Revelation? Well, let's see. Look at uh, Revelation chapter 7. So Revelation chapter 6 ends with the sixth seal. The sun went black. The moon turned into blood. The stars fell. And the the heavens, the Bible says, um, let me make sure I say it. The heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. Then what happens? Well, in chapter 7, 
because this is in chronological order. You'll say, oh, the book of Revelation is not in chronological order. Really, it's like the most outlined book in the Bible. He outlines it with seals. He outlines it with trumpets. He outlines it with vials. I think it's in pretty chronological order. Verse 7, in chapter 7, if you read from verses 1 through uh, verse uh, number uh, 8, he talks about the 144,000. Because the Bible teaches that when, when the rapture happens, when we go up, the 144,000 come down. So the sun just turned black, the moon turned into blood, the stars fell, the heavens were rolled up like a scroll, the 144,000 show up. Remember, this is John in heaven. He's getting a view from heaven. Then what, ha- then what happens? Look at verse 9. After this, that sounds like chrono- chronological order. After this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and sons, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God. You say, what is that? That's the rapture. That's, that's all these believers. I mean, he says, there's a great multitude which no man could number. Job says, they're going to rise after the heavens be no more. You go to the book of Revelation, chapter 6, the heavens are departed. Chapter 7, they rise. They're resurrected. They're in heaven. And notice, it's after the tribulation. And just to be clear, Just to be clear, he says this in verse 12, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be on our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? He says, What? Who are these people? And whence? The word whence means from where came they? He says, From where did they come? Notice 14. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So look, according to the, according to the book of Revelation, when do people show up? When does this great multitude show up in heaven after the rapture? They came out of great tribulation. Because chapter 6 is all the great tribulation events. Chapter 6 ends with the sun turning black, the moon turning into blood, the stars falling, and the heavens being rolled up like a scroll. And then in chapter 7, we have the rapture. We have the resurrection. That's exactly what Job said. So man lieth down and riseth not, till the heavens be no more, and they shall not awake nor be raised out of their sleep. Go to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Matthew 24, of course, is one of the great Olivet Discourses where Jesus gave the, uh, you know, the entire outline of end times prophecy. I just want to show you how it all matches up. The Olivet Discourse, Book of Revelation, and Job. Job knew what he was talking about. By the way, let me say this. Christian, this pre-trib rapture doctrine is a, is a new doctrine. It, it's been around, you know, about 100 years or so. Invented in the 1800s, a little bit over 100 years. Historically, Christians have believed what we believe today, the post-trib, pre-wrath rapture. You say, prove it, okay? We have a famous song we sing in our hymn book. It was written in the 1800s. It's called, It Is Well With My Soul. 
the fourth verse is quoting the book of Revelation. And Lord, haste the day when thy faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound, the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. He says, look, my faith will be seen. I'll see the faith, the hope, the Lord Jesus Christ. The singer wrote, the singer wrote, when the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. Well, guess who else said that? Job. Guess who else said that? John the Revelator. Guess who else said that? Jesus on the Mount of Olives. Look at Matthew 24. Look at verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. Oh, no, it's not in chronological order. It sounds like chronology to me. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. What happens after the tribulation of those days? Notice what Jesus says. Shall the sun be darkened? Didn't that sound like Revelation 6? The fifth seal? And the moon shall not give her light. Doesn't that sound like Revelation 6? The, the, the sixth seal? And the stars shall fall from heaven. Doesn't that sound like Revelation 6? The sixth seal? And the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Doesn't that sound like it is well with my soul? My, when he talks about seeing his faith, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And people say, no, 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 that's the second coming. That's not the rapture. Well, look, I hate to disagree with your Bible college theology, but the Bible calls the second coming and the rapture the same thing. They shall see the Son of Man coming. The first Thessalonians refers to it as the coming of the Lord. They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Notice verse 31. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect. The elect are saved people. You can prove that easily if you just look up the word elect. From the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. According to Matthew, what happens? The tribulation, the sun turns black, the moon turns into blood, the stars fall, and then the angels go and gather the elect. According to Revelation, what happens? The, the, the tribulation, the killing of saints, the sun turns black, the moon turns red, the stars fall, the heavens are rolled up like a scroll, and then in chapter 7, you have this great multitude in heaven, and we're told they came out of tribulation. Job said that when the heavens are rolled back, that's when they'll rise. So look, the Bible clearly, the Bible clearly you would have to be insane or just have an agenda to not just be able to look at that and say, the rapture happens after the tribulation. It's a post-tribulation uh, rapture. But that's what, you know, uh, uh, it is all of my souls is my favorite hymn in the hymn book. And it's not because of verse 4. My favorite hymn part of the song is actually uh, verse 3. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. I mean, it's just a powerful song. But it's just interesting that the writer of the song understood. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound, the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. So we see this great teaching in this chapter here of the resurrection. Go, go, go back to Job chapter 14. We've got we to move forward. We're running out of time. Look at verse 6. He says, 
For now thou numbers my steps, does thou not watch over my sins? Well, we talked about that. Verse 17, my transgression is sealed up in a bag, and thou sowest up mine iniquities. For surely the mountain falling cometh to naught, and the rock is removed out of his place. The waters wear the stone, and thou washest away the things which grow out of the dust of the earth. And thou destroyest the hope of man. He's talking about the fact that we're all decaying. Sin brings death. And we're all dying. Things are destroying. Verse 20. Thou prevailest forever against him, and he passeth. Thou changest his countenance and sendest him away. His sons come to honor, and he knoweth it not. And they are brought low, but he perceiveth it not of them. Then he says this in verse 22. But his flesh upon him shall have pain. And his soul within him shall mourn. And it's this idea that Job brought up in verse 1. If you remember, look, look at verse 1. Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. These two concepts that Job gives us. We have few days, and those few days are full of trouble. That's why Psalm 90, he talked about our days are full of labor and evil. That's why in Ephesians he said, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Look, life is full of sorrow. That's what the Bible says. Our days are few and our life is full of sorrow. He says there in verse 22, his flesh upon him shall have pain and his soul within him shall mourn. Let me just share a couple of verses with you real quickly. We'll, we'll finish up. Go, go to 2 Corinthians if you would. 2 Corinthians. And you know what? I, I skipped a bunch of stuff about, man, good night. Let me just real quickly show you this real quick. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. I just remembered I skipped a bunch of stuff about the rapture that I wanted to show you from this chapter. Man. Job 14. Look at verse 13 and 14 just real quickly and go to 1 Corinthians 15. Notice what he says in Job 14, 13. Oh, that thou wouldest hide me in the grave, that thou wouldest keep me secret until thy wrath be past, that thou wouldest appoint me a set time and remember me. Look at verse 14. If a man die, shall he live again? Again, we're talking about the rapture, the resurrection. All the days are appointed time. Will I wait till, notice what he says, till my change come? He, said, he asked this question. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait. He said, he said I'll wait, talking about his body in, in the grave, till my change come. Again, this is a reference to the rapture. Because in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, the Bible says this. Behold, 1 Corinthians 15, 51, it's a famous rapture passage. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So notice Job said in, in verse, Job 14, 14, till my change come. Well, you know, the rapture, at the rapture, we're all going to be changed. At the resurrection, we're all going to be changed. You say, what does that mean? Look at verse 53. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. See, we're going to be resurrected one day, but we're not going to be resurrected the way you and I are right now. This corruptible will put on incorruption. 
We won't be corruptible anymore. This mortal will put on immortality. We'll be in our glorified bodies. Then in Job 14, you don't have to turn here. I'll just read this for you because I'm out of time. Job 14, verse 15, he says, Thou shalt call. Again, we're talking about the rapture, the resurrection. Thou shalt call, and I will answer thee. Thou will have a desire to the work of of thine hand. So he says, at the rapture, God's going to call, and we're going to answer thee, is what he says. You can just jot this down. You don't have to turn there. John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. Jesus, speaking about the resurrection, said this. He said, Marvel not at this time, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. Because Job said, Thou shalt call. And then Job said, I will answer thee. Here's what Jesus said, verse 29, And shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So it's really interesting how much insight Job had into these doctrines. And, and by the way, that's, that's great proof of this, because people will try to say like, oh, in the Old Testament, they didn't know anything. And look, obviously we know a lot more about things. We uh, have a lot more light. We have a lot more uh, revealed to us in the, in the New Testament. But I'll tell you this, in the Old Testament, they knew a lot. They knew what salvation was. They knew what the rapture was. They, they, they understood these concepts, and Job very clearly here uh, talked about them. You're there in 1 Corinthians. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's talk about this idea of being full of sorrow. Remember, there's two themes in this chapter. One was this, because life is a few of days, we should use our time wisely. Here's the second theme. Because life is full of sorrow, we should find comfort in God and comfort others. Notice 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforted us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. You know, the Bible says that God is the God of comfort. See, we live in this world of sorrow. God is the God of comfort. And, he, and you say, why God comforts us, then what? Then he says, we should be able to comfort others with the same comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. That we may be able to comfort them. And obviously, when people are going through difficult times and trials, you want to be very careful about how you speak to them. Obviously, that's one of the major themes of the book of Job. His friends are not being very sensitive to what he's going through. And, you know, I would be very careful about saying this to someone when they're going through a very difficult time in their lives. But, you know, when we're not going through a difficult time in our lives, here's a good thought for you to just kind of jot down and put in the back of your head. Because when we go through difficult times, we often ask this question, why me? Why did God allow this to happen to me? Why is God putting me through this? But you know, the answer to that question is this, so that you can comfort others. We don't like that answer, but that's what God says. God allows us to go through trials and tribulations and heartaches and difficult things so that we can then come outside other people that are hurting and help them and comfort them. God gives us discomfort so that we'll run to him. And then we take his comfort and we share it with others. Look, sometimes God, he has to discomfort us in order to get us close to him. Blessed are they that mourn, Jesus said, for they shall be comforted. Peter said this, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. So look, during times of sorrow, we should seek our comfort in God. And by the way, you know, and I don't have time to develop this, I'm already out of time. But the Bible is clear. 
that comfort is a great, uh, that sorrow, excuse me, mourning, is something we don't want, but it's something that's good for us. The Bible says it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of myrrh. The Bible says it's better to have sorrow than laughter. Because the truth is this, comfort, comfort is your worst enemy. Comfort is what keeps you in bed when you should be soul winning. Comfort is what keeps you from reading the Bible. Comfort is what keeps you from showing up on the Sunday night church. Comfort is what keeps you from tithing. Look, comfort is your worst enemy. And we're not just talking about spiritually, any area of your life. Professionally, physically. Look, at your work, comfort is your worst enemy. You start getting comfortable, you start being lazy, you stop producing. Look, discomfort is one of the best things that can happen to your life in any area, health, professionally, emotionally, and spiritually. It can draw you closer to God. It can make you better. It can purge you. See, Job will tell us later in this book, he said, I went through all this discomfort. I went through all this terrible time. I went through all this trial and tribulation. He says, but you know what? When I come forth, I shall come forth as gold. I'm going to come out better on the other end. God used this to make me better, to draw me closer to Him. And I can use my experience to comfort others. So, here's what we learn in this chapter. Aside from the great doctrinal truths of separation and the post-trip, pre-wrath rapture, we learn this, that because life is a few of days, we should use our time wisely. And because life is full of sorrow, we should find comfort in God and comfort others. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for this great chapter in the book of Job. Lord, I pray you'd help us to live a life of perspective. Our lives are not long. They are short. And we are not meant to live in comfort necessarily. Comfort may be our worst enemy. We are meant to draw close to you. Sometimes that requires sorrow. Lord, I pray you'd help us. Help us to learn from Job. Help us to be like Job. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.